everyone. I'm Jen. I'm Anthony, and this is Bottom Bracket Biking Podcast. A couple's guide to biking. Hello, welcome to episode three of Bottom Bracket Biking Podcast. Today, we're going to be going over the Indy 50 gravel race that Jen did yesterday. And Jen did it, and Anthony didn't, for reasons that we'll get into. Anthony was still there throughout the race, so he'll give a different perspective than riding. Yeah, the whole team riding thing, I wasn't so sure about it, and then Jen got drafted. But uh, how did it go for you, Jen? So, to start with, um, it was a team ride. You were signed up in groups of three, and the whole idea was you had to start and finish as a group, otherwise it did not count as a finish. So, I had not planned on doing the ride and there was a group of two that needed another rider. They were about my speed, asked me to do it, and I agreed. So that's how I got into it. Um, Anthony just didn't find a group. Is that what happened for you? Well, yeah. Nobody really offered that was kind of the speed I wanted to go. And I don't often ride with groups. I mainly do mountain biking. So I figured a 50-mile ride wasn't the time to get impatient with people. You have been known to get impatient with me. I know that. No. Oh, there it is. <laughs> so anyhow, to go over what this is, it was it was a gravel rally is what they called it. It was just over 50 miles just southwest of Des Moines on gravel roads, which for those of you who don't know the Iowa gravel roads, um, they're fairly hilly. So there's a lot of elevation gain. Um, we ended up, mine says that we had... 3,143 feet of climb, which in Iowa is a decent amount of climb. So honestly, that was my biggest challenge with the race, which we'll get into in just a little bit. Yeah, southern Iowa has a bunch of hills. Iowa isn't known for hills, but you know, after 50 miles on a bike, you start to feel them quite a bit. Uh, The race was put on by Ron Cooney, and he did it with like, I mean, there was only two people, two kind of people leading it and then they had some family members helping with like the uh the checkpoints and stuff and the coolest thing to me about this race was that it didn't start as a race it started as a ride um and all of the proceeds for it you didn't really have to pay to get in you had to either make a donation it could be monetary or you could like do donation donations for an animal shelter. So I think my entry fee was kitty litter, um, something like that. And that was really the whole idea behind it is, Hey, I bet I can put something on. Um, Ron's really big in the biking community. Like, well, I bet that all of these people that I bike with would be willing to help me out and really help this shelter. So that's something I hadn't seen before. And I thought that was a really cool idea. Yeah. It was kind of a a ride for a cause, but that wasn't necessarily the forefront. I mean, if you just showed up, you may not have known it was for an animal shelter, but we had an entire truckload of cat food and litter and dog food that we were going to give to that shelter. It was crazy. I rode around in that truck for all day. But it started at the brewery, and you guys went out to the middle school, right? Yeah, so we started in downtown Indianola, um, rode, oh, I don't know, about a mile, maybe two miles-ish, out to the edge of town where the gravel started, and that's where we actually had the official start of the race. Um, and then 
did a big circuit around that area, came back, and the actual finish was just north of town. And then we had about three miles to ride back to the brewery throughout town. Do you know why he did that? I think the idea was that you didn't want to finish in, you know, on city streets. And also that way it started and finished on gravel. Yeah. He wanted to make it so that there wasn't a bunch of bikers ripping through stoplights and stop signs in downtown Indianola. Yeah, that that doesn't really help the public perception of bikers. So um, I appreciated that because I could finish and then the way back through town, I wasn't worried about cars or anything like that. But So, Anthony, why don't you tell us what you did at the race? Yeah, so I, because I hadn't, I, I wanted to sign up. Hey, Ron, if you're listening, can you make a solo option next time? Uh, what was I doing down there? Oh, I was playing support crew. So I brought all my camera gear, actually. This is something I'd never done before. I brought my GoPro and my drone and thought I'd put together some video. And my original idea was, all right, I'd go down there, um, film the start, film the finish, get put a little short video together. But what ended up happening was I got a ride from the first start to the middle school where they did the actual start to a checkpoint to help with that, to the finish line, and then back to the brewery. brewery. So I was all over the place that day. I got a bunch of video, and one of the video might even, or probably will be featured in the Indianola newspaper. Online. Online newspaper. And I don't think we've said yet, this was the West Hill Brewing Company where this was all based out of. Yeah, for sure. Shout out to Doug and West Hill Brewing. They uh, just opened in Indianola. They are... Awesome. Very bike-friendly, cool place, good beer. Yeah, in fact, I met Doug at the mount, at a mountain biking ride. But that's what I did. So the other thing that we ended up not using but that we were set up to do, um, those of you who listened to episode two know that we had an experience with a gravel ride that was not great. Um, so we had the Subaru set up so it could be a full team extraction vehicle. So we had a cooler with, um, water bottles, a bit of food. Um, we have the two car or sorry, two bike hitch rack on the back. And then we put the, uh, the top racks on the car as well. So we could carry four bikes and four people if needed. Um, teams were three, so it would have worked well if a team was going to quit and needed to ride out. And that way, since Anthony wasn't going to be biking, um, he could kind of be on call if a team needed help getting out of there. Yeah, I was kind of bummed out because I had considered bringing all my biking stuff down just in case a team needed an extra. And guess what? A team needed an extra. And it was a team that I could have ridden with and gone super fast with. But yeah, the weather ended up being perfect, which is honestly my main concern after the uh, the horrible experience last year and so we did not end up needing the uh, the extraction vehicle it did make me feel better having it available though yeah even though i could not have accessed it for 80 percent of your ride but <laughs> i didn't mean to get in vehicles with strangers and end up driving around the countryside in rural iowa it was fun though how did you feel about the ride overall so overall the ride was pretty good um there was really only one complaint that i had about my setup and that is the gearing on my bike. Like I said, there's a lot of elevation. And the bike that I have for my gravel bike is the Bianchi Impulso All-Road. And it is geared just a little bit more towards the road side um, of gearing than the gravel side. 
So it has up front, it's got a 50 by 34 and in the back it's got 11 by 34. So the lowest I could have gone was 34 by 34. And I really would have liked it if I could have gone something more like 30 by 34. It would give me two to four more gears at the bottom range because when I was going up hills, it got really frustrating. I would be in my lowest gear and still really be pushing when that's the point when you just want to go even lower and just spin and take a little bit longer going up the hill, but not be nearly so rough on your legs and uh, not use as much energy. So I am in the process of figuring out what I need to do to change that. Um, that's a complaint I've had on every gravel ride I've done with the bike. And for a while I was considering, you know, does it make more sense to take my mountain bike well, I like the gravel bike. I like the attachment points. I like... You could just you know, be stronger. I could just be stronger. That's one of the other things that I considered. And it's gotten to the point where I like that bike for gravel rides. I'm probably not going to get that much stronger. And if I don't make this switch at this point, I'm not going to be nearly as motivated to do more gravel rides that make me stronger. Hey, that was a joke. I was joking about you just being stronger. You're not wrong, though. I could just be stronger. <laughs> no. Um, one thing that I really paid attention to is I did not use um, the larger front ring at all during the ride. Um, so what do you think that means? That means that the the bike is geared too high for what I would use. Yeah. So that's, For what you're using it for? Yes. There was one time when I kind of would have used it, but I was going down a hill and I could just coast and it was over 30 seconds later. So, um, that was kind of my test on, do I actually want to make this conversion on the bike? Answer is yes. Now I just have to do the research into what it would take. Probably a new derailleur and uh, a different cassette. So the other thing that Anthony has kind of alluded to is, you know, it can be hard to ride with other people. Um, both of us tend to go out and do a lot of rides alone or it's mountain bike ride as a group, which is a completely different experience than, you know, 53 miles on gravel. And so this was the first time I'd really done that long of a ride with a set group that was not going to change over the time. Um, and the first 40 miles of that, it was actually really fun. It was nice having people to talk to. A lot of times I'm out there and I, you know, I'll pass people or they'll pass me. More likely they'll pass me and I'll talk to them for a while. But it's just a lot of me and my bike in a gravel road. And so it was really fun having teammates to talk to. Towards the end, um, and this was, I fully recognize this was me just wanting to be done. That's when we started really seeing a little bit of a split in, you know, the ability in the group. We had one guy who was cramping up. And I really just wanted to be done. I was not feeling good either. But I wanted to put my head down and pedal and just get out of there because it was... I was over the race at that point. And so that's, it's interesting having that mental aspect in there because that was frustrating. But at the same time, if I hadn't had that first 40 miles of people to talk to, I could have been in a totally different mental headspace at that point and having a much worse time. So overall, I think it was really cool getting to experience that sort of the team aspect of it. Um, Anthony, you saw a lot of teams come through. Do you want to talk more about the overall race or give some perspective on that side of it? Yeah. So Jen hasn't really alluded to what place they came in, but they were, they tried their best to get the DFL award. 
They actually gave out um, awards for the last people. <laughs> we were so close. We DF- were s- Go ahead. DFL, dead effing last, for those who are wondering. We were second from last, and that was fine because we finished. Yeah, they just didn't have the patience and the lack of training to make it happen, but maybe hey, next time. We tried. The winners were coming in at 20 mile an hour average. Uh, the, the first place finisher was two hours and 31 minutes. What time did you guys have? So, and I did stop my watch at the two water stops. So this is not our overall course time. We came in at, uh, just under five hours. Our average, based on what I have, our average was, uh, 10.8 miles per hour. So far cry from 20 miles per hour. Yeah. Or, you know, 50 miles, five hours. That's like 10 miles an hour. Yeah. Which my, if, if I hit 15 miles an hour, that's pretty good. So what would you have done? Would you have done something differently if you were to do it again? Um, other than the bike gearing, honestly, that would be a huge thing because I just tired myself out so much going up those hills and then it would take me a while to like get back into my stride. I would just train more beforehand. You know, this was, I'd been doing a lot of mountain biking, so like that's decent, but my overall endurance, it just faded off. I was great until about 35 miles and then it started dropping. So I think I would just train more. The thing that I would find frustrating is it being a three person team. You can train as much as you want, but if you know, that third person doesn't train, it's like, all right, why even, why even do it? That, that's what I was worried about is that I would be in really good shape and I'd be with people who weren't very, weren't as fast as I was. I don't know. Maybe that's not a concern most people. Maybe m- people are more patient than I am. Well, we've talked before about the fact that you like to go 100% all the time and I don't. It does get frustrating when you're out there and you're hot and you're tired and you want to be done and you're going with somebody else. And so, yeah, that is part of it. You have to really be careful when you're picking a team so that you pick people who are not going to be so fast that you burn out halfway through and can't finish or be so slow that you hate the whole thing and, you know, it's you're having more mental issues and physical issues. And I think that is an issue kind of unique to us because we mountain bike so often. We're very uh, reclusive creatures. I mean, it's... If I would have tried to bike with a team that it, that you would have picked, I would have hated the whole thing because I would have felt like I was holding up the group the whole time and burning out. And you probably wouldn't have liked it so much because you would have been going slow and wanting to be done and I would have burned out and then done worse. And I think this kind of thing, you have to be very careful about who you bike with. Like we learned very quickly that, yeah, we really like each other and we really like going to things together, but it, it works so much better if we drive down, do the ride separately, whatever ride that is, get pizza afterwards and then drive home together because we we just don't enjoy biking the same. So that was, once again, a, a different aspect on this type of race. So as far as water and food goes, do you know how much water you used while you were out there? I do not know exactly because I dumped some additional water bottles in. Um, I was using my three liter Camelback. I never completely emptied it. And then I added in probably a liter at every water stop. And I did not get into my two backup water bottles. Oh, you didn't even use your frame or your bottles? I did not. Um, And I would have, but we had, there's a water stop at mile 20 and a water stop at mile 40 which was really nice because I was kind of worried about how much water I would need previously. So I would say 
I probably used about five liters of water, which was right on what I expected. Yeah. So based on our last episode, that would be a liter an hour. Yep. Which is about exactly what I planned for. Um, Do you know how much food you went through? I know exactly how much food I went through. So uh, we were doing about 10 miles an hour. So just this is about every hour is every 10 miles. Duh. Um, Perfect. Good math right there. Good math. Engineering degree put you to use. So at... And I was counting everything by miles, but that's just the translation to hours. So at mile 10, did a goo pack. At the water stop at mile 20, which was right around noon, I had a goo pack and a Pop-Tart, which they had out there. Um, have not had Pop-Tarts before for ride snacks, but I think they're probably a good option for me. Um, mile 30, had a goo pack. Uh, mile 35, I was just not quite feeling great. I actually felt hungry, which I don't typically do on rides. Um, so I had a Stroop waffle. Mile 40 at the, uh, the second water, pa- or water station, I had a second Pop-Tart. And I think this is actually where I messed up my nutrition because I meant to have my last goo pack and I didn't. I was feeling like, Hey, we're almost to the end. Like I'm feeling good. This is great. And about three miles out of there, I just kind of crashed. Um, Pop-Tarts are good, but they are not... I mean, they're they're good just to get something in your stomach, and they don't upset my stomach when I'm biking, but they don't replenish the type of things that goo packs do because they're just not made to do that. So the bad part about this is that I started feeling nauseous as well as kind of shaky and just like I needed more food. And so... Um, remember last episode when I said that we had never used our electrolyte capsules? Well, I had taken a couple of those along just to have them in case and actually used one. And I think it ended up being exactly what I needed because I was feeling like if I ate anything, I was going to puke, but I knew I needed something. So that was enough to get me back to feeling functional. So as far as what you ate, what did you eat like total? Um, one, two, three goo packs, two Pop-Tarts, and a Stroopwaffle. Okay, so three goo packs, 300 calories, two Pop-Tarts are 400, 400. total. Stroopwaffle is 150. Yeah, so three, seven, so 650 total, no, 850? 850. 850 total for a five-hour ride, so it's a little over 100 calories an hour. Yep. And so my, my general guideline is one goo pack every every 45 minutes to an hour. And at 45 minutes, that actually lines up almost perfect with that guideline. Yep. And just for reference, I burned about 1,800 calories on this ride. Yeah, you want to kind of toe that line of like, you're not getting fat and you're not ruining your ride. So that actually lines up with the advice we had last time of one goo pack, 100 calories every 45 minutes. Um. I was just interested to see kind of how the real world lined up with the guideline. Yep. And uh, based on how I felt when I got back, like it was right on that line of I had I was putting enough fuel back in to keep going, but I could tell that I, I definitely needed food when I got back, which that's what I try to hit. Jen, do you hear that noise? I do. Ding, ding, ding on your left. Oh, it's a biker. You know what that means? Gear talk time. Gear talk time. Look at that. We even we even figured the name out. Uh, not to pat myself on the back. <laughs> would you like to go first? Or would you like me to? I will go first here. 
So my favorite thing that I want to talk about this week um, is something that I used yesterday and was very good for my peace of mind. Um, it is a Pedal Industries race day bag. And the whole idea is that this bag is set up so that you cannot forget anything that you need. Um, it has... Well, you can forget it. You can forget it. I'm an idiot. I forget stuff all the time. Come the on. bike literally has a check... Or not the bike. The bag literally has a checklist written on it. So it has two side pockets, one for your helmet, one for your shoes, and then four like top zipper pockets, um, and they all have different things labeled on them. And you just pack the bag up, and what I like is the night before I can go through and make sure that everything that I expect to be in the pockets is in those pockets. And then I obviously have like my camelback that I'll set next to it because that it does not have a spot for a camelback. And the next day, I just can fill my camel back up with water and pick up my bag, and I know I'm good to go. And I am a bit of an anxious person. I will check what I have like eight times just the morning of a race, and that doesn't count the 12 times I've done it the day before. So this helps me not freak out when I'm halfway to the race. I'm like, did I pack this? Like, yes, I did. I've checked it. It's in the bag. I know. Um, and then when I get to the race, it's really nice knowing that, you know, I'm not searching for something like, oh, what pocket did I put this in? It's, it's all in an assigned pocket. So my lovely husband here has one of these bags too, which I actually got them because he forgets. I, I'm pretty sure he would forget the bike if it wasn't like the bike. So Anthony, what do you think about your bag? Oh, thanks for asking, Jen. No, I like it. It's good for when you're going to some place, like you're not just leaving from home. Typically, when when I'm just leaving from home to go around, I just throw stuff on and call it a day. I don't put it all back together. But if I'm going downtown or out of the town to go bike, it's really nice to have to just have one thing with everything in it. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I know I found it extremely helpful just for rides in general, and then the fact that I can leave it packed up. And we've had a couple times where. You know, I'm not planning on going for a ride that night and we get invited like, oh, hey, let's go. Let's go meet up and ride. And I can just grab the bag and do a quick check and be relatively sure I'm going to have everything I need. So what's your favorite thing this week, Anthony? Uh, my glasses, which I talked about in episode one, which I now have another new pair because I apparently lost mine somewhere around the house magically. Um, No, but the Tifosi photochromic glasses are the best thing on earth. I love them. I get the really light ones so that they go from really light to not so light so I can wear them at night if I need to. Uh, you have the same pair, don't you? I don't have the exact same pair that you do, but yes, I have a very similar version and I love them as well. Um, it's so nice. Like I've gotten used to them enough that I don't really notice them until I forget them or try to wear normal sunglasses that aren't photochromic. And just the fact that they adjust is so nice. I don't have to think about, like, if I go from, well, on long rides, you know, you can start out in sunlight and end up in rain, and I can still see the whole time, which is wonderful. Yeah, I've worn them for entire 17-hour rides, starting in the dark, ending in the dark throughout the day. I mean, they're wonderful. I wear them weed-eating when I'm in the trails, just because they're eye protection. And that's another big thing, it's just... Protecting your face from flying rocks. Yeah, that's something I forgot to mention about the race yesterday. Is at the beginning of the ride, um, we knew we were going to be one of the slower teams, so we started pretty close to the back. And 
you took off down the the first hill at the back of a huge pack and bikes throw up rocks. And so I ended up with a cut just beneath my right eye um, that actually stung pretty bad. But I wasn't all that concerned because I knew with the glasses that it was going to have to be a real big rock to, you know, actually hurt my eyes. And I had to get through the glasses first. So that was really nice to have that extra protection. Yeah. And these ones, I don't, they're not like safety rated, but they're like shatterproof, whatever. It'll protect you from the rocks and bugs that come towards your face. And they wrap around your face too. So it's not like something's going to get in through the side of the glasses. I want to talk about something now, and that is bike skills. Um, One thing that I find very important is being able to handle your bike. And when the mountain bikers say roadies in a derogatory term, as in effing roadies, uh, usually that's what it comes down to, is mistakes made because bike handling skills are not great. It is actually really funny to watch people at gravel rides. Um, you can absolutely tell the people that are coming from road riding and the people that are coming from mountain biking because the road riders will kill it going up a hill. They'll just leave the mountain bikers at all. Oh, they'll leave me in the dust for sure. But then you go down a hill and to me, I'm like, yes, this is where I'm going to catch speed. And they're all on their brakes because they're not sure about, you know, the rocks or sometimes you'll have um ruts on the b-grade roads because it's all washed out and if you're mountain biking you know how to ride that somebody actually wrecked on a b-grade road because of a rut really yeah we were talking about it at the end but um that's not to say that mountain bikers are better than roadies just in terms of jumping off stuff and going around loose turns uh probably but the reason is is because bike handling skills there's a couple major ones that i think everyone should work on Number one being uh, probably track stands is one of the better skills to have. I need to work on that. Yeah. When you're going up, even when you're going up a B grade road and, oh, you got to go real slow. Guess what? If you can just stand there, you don't have to get off your bike. You know, it makes it so that you don't have to push your bike. Or if you're going around a real tight switchback mountain biking, guess what? You can just stand there and think about your life choices. So... What exactly is a track stand, Anthony? Track stand is literally just being on your bike while you're not moving or moving very slowly. Do you know where the name comes from? I don't. It comes from a track, like circle track racing. I forget what they're, velodromes, I think they're called. Mm, mm -hmm. Because they, God, have you ever seen one of those? One of the track races? They're so stupid. Basically, they like stop on the track to try to like cut each other off. And so the first two minutes is just these people being like, uh, and then moving like a foot and then like, uh, and then moving like a foot and then they take off and go as fast as they can. So they're called track stands because they literally just stand there. That actually sounds kind of interesting. It's interesting the first time. And then the next race, you just go, oh my God, can you guys pedal, please? (laughs) But, uh, Anthony likes to go fast. No, it's just not a very fun sport for the first like minute watching these guys just hug each other on bikes (laughs) (laughs) but yeah a track stand is doing that just standing on the track and from the race yesterday there was one hill in particular where there was somebody ahead of me who 
did not make it the whole way up the hill and I knew that I could, but they stopped and got off. And the fact that I could slow down to almost nothing, which I cannot do a full track stand, but I have been working on it. And so this was enough that I could stay on my bike and he got his bike out of my way and then I could continue pedaling up the hill and not have to get off and walk as well. Um, that was very helpful. It is one of those things that you, uh, you know, you can work on it everywhere. You come up to a stop sign, just go as slow as you can. Just try to stop and then, oh, you fall over and whatever. I would recommend unclipping first, so that is a good way to end up on your face in front of a bunch of cars. Not that I've done that before. <laughs> Actually, I've done it in the woods with a bunch of people I knew. Uh, so yeah, you come up to a stop sign, slow down, unclip, just see how long you can hold it there, and then uh, call it a day. And just do that every time, and you'll get you'll get better at it. That's the goal. So what what other skills should we work on? Uh, wheelies and manuals are one of my favorite ones. They're really good when you're dropping off of stuff and don't want to just kind of do what the bike tells you to do. Those are pretty easy to work on. Uh, I, curbs, man. Curbs are the best. Is there a difference between a wheelie and a manual? Yeah, one of them, you pop the wheel up while pedaling. The other one, you don't. So a wheelie, I think, is when you're pedaling and pop the wheel up. And a manual is when you just magically pop the wheel up. Oh, you're coasting? Yeah, you're yeah. coasting. And the wheelie is obviously a lot easier because you have kind of power control and brake control. But you don't have to be great to do it. You don't have to go for like 30 feet to have it be useful. If you can pop that up with confidence, guess what? You can get over curbs better. You can get over small uh, small rocks and stuff without a problem. It's one of those skills that doesn't take much to learn, but you'll use it, or I think you'll use it a lot of places. And the other thing is your front wheel is the one that you want to keep tracking. Uh, so if you can pop your front wheel over something and bash your rear wheel into it, guess what? You're probably going to get over it. If you bash your front wheel into it and pop your rear wheel up, <laughs> well, you've gone over your handlebars. You're going to have a bad day. Yeah, I've actually ridden my bike sideways because I got my front wheel over it and my rear wheel decided it was going the other way. And I just went wee and rode out like two feet to the side. Um, do you? Where do we practice these skills at? So, like you started to mention earlier, um, curbs are really good for this. Um, they're fairly controlled environments. You know how <laughs> tall they're going to be. Yeah, curbs don't um, tend to move very much. Yeah, it's it's best to start on something like a curb, um, especially if you're nervous about it, because you're going, you don't have to like fully get over it. You're going up a level. And so, if you get over the curb, you're on another flat surface. Um, and also, there's not a chance it's going to move like a log or a rock would. Um, specific place that we practice, and I think we've mentioned this before, there is a high school parking lot right across from our house. Um, so obviously not a good thing to do when school is in session and there's a whole bunch of cars and kids over there. Yeah, dodging cars is also a good skill, though. It, it is a good skill, but not helpful for working on curbs. Um, but on weekends when there aren't a whole bunch of people over there, we'll just go over and practice in the parking lot. And they've got a whole bunch of different things that, you know, they've got a couple of different height curbs, you know, even just having the lines on the ground for the parking stalls that you can practice, you know, popping your front tire up and over. Um, if you're first starting out, that can be a really good way to see if you can get over something without the fear of actually hitting it. Well, that's part of timing is you see a small, like really small, like the size of your pinky, something you could roll over. Uh, go ahead and try to pop that front wheel over it. 
you know, that, that gets your timing down so that once you hit something the size of a curb or bigger, you're not too late and end up going over the handlebars. Uh, timing is important too. Yeah. And what this leads to is there is a B grade road that I was going down yesterday and there was a rut that was going across it. And instead of slowing down and losing all my, mem- my momentum to get up the next hill or having to, you know, try to avoid it or, I don't know, hit it and going over the handlebars. I just... Or levitating magically to get over it. Yes, or that. Um, I was more concerned about either hitting it and wrecking or losing all my momentum because I didn't want to pedal up the next hill. Um, I just popped my front tire over it, let the back tire kind of hit it, barely felt it, rode it out, and continued on. So it's not just something that applies in mountain biking. Yeah, obviously, bike seals are, ob- they obviously apply in mountain biking, but even if you work on a few of them, guess what? Maybe you might not crash on those railroad tracks, which are a killer, apparently. Yeah. Um, the other one is going off of curbs. Yay! We love jumping off curbs. Uh, practicing these, you look like an idiot, by the way. You just gotta get over that. You're a fully grown adult, freaking jumping off a curb with your bike. Even better if you're in full spandex. Even Oh, yeah. Make sure you're wearing full spandex, too, on like a full carbon bike. Yeah, it'll be good. But the curbs are good, too, because uh, the manual leads into the curb jump, which is helpful when, you know, there's a drop in the road. What are you going to do? Are you going to make – is the road going to tell you what to do? No. Send that bad boy. Uh, I challenge people uh, – people, geez, Jen and my friend, whoever I'm with – but my challenge for them is when you go off a curb, try to get your rear wheel to hit just before your front wheel. Um, that means you're in control of the, the drop. The drop's not in control of you, which isn't very important on a curb. You know, whatever, you can do that. But when you get serious biking and you have a one-foot drop, you, you want to be in control of the bike. You do not want the bike to be in control of you. So if you're on a curb and you think, man, I wonder how you, people jump off stuff. Uh, you just go off the curb and make your rear wheel hit first. Uh, I guess from a technical perspective, pop that front wheel up and just keep it up there for that quarter of a second that it takes to fall off the curb. And to be clear, you do not have to be going extremely fast to do this. Anthony likes to tell me that a lot. Um, he can control his bike at slower speeds. I'm still working on it. So for me, having additional speed right now is helpful for practicing this. Yeah, the faster you go off a drop, the more quote unquote in control you'll be. But that's really just an artifact of you're going so fast that you don't have time to flip over the handlebars. So the slower you can go and land on that back wheel or land flat, that's kind of the the best option, but it's harder to tell. The slower you can go and do that, the better, because that means you're more and more in control of it. And if you have either a buddy who's there with you or a camera that you can set up to do video, slow-mo especially, or like we use the GoPro for this, um, if you uh, videotape yourself doing these things and then go back and watch, that can be very helpful to figure out what you're doing wrong or what you need to do to improve. Yeah. Uh. Parking lots in general are super helpful. The curbs, you can actually jump either off or over. So once you get kind of comfortable or once you get bored, that's usually why I do stuff, you can go and you can hit a speed bump with your front tire and pop it up. No, you can, yeah. So speed bumps, you can jump over all kinds of different ways. You can try to clear the whole thing. 
you can hit it with your front tire to pop your front tire up and then kind of jump with the rest of your bike over it. There's all kinds of options for speed bumps. I know, I know it sounds kind of dumb, but if you do that and get good at it, you'll get into the woods and you'll see a little bump and you'll be like, Hey, that's just a damn speed bump. Just don't freak out and grab your front brake at the last minute. Oh, dear God. Speaking of freaking out and grabbing your front brake, though, there's another skill, Jen, that you've never, I don't think you've ever done that I think would be really helpful. What is it? That is a, uh, nose, nosy, stoppy. <laughs> a wheelie on your front tire? A front wheelie? Uh, yeah. Basically. No, I am still scared of doing this. I have not done one of these. Yeah. This is what I call an advanced basic skill. <laughs> <laughs> Trademark, just came up with it. Oxymoron. Oxymoron. Don't call me that. Uh, basically, it's where you grab your front brake hard enough to pop your rear wheel up. And you might think, Anthony, what? why would we ever want to do that? Why? You're, and honestly, out in the trail, there's never a situation where you need to pop your rear wheel up. But the point is that you understand how your bike controls. So if you're going down a super steep hill, you can feel that like, oh, I'm starting to tip over. You know, you know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. In flying aircraft, they practice stalls where they go slow enough that the plane stops lifting. And it's not because that you necessarily do that often. You don't want to do that. But you know what it feels like. When you're coming into land, you know how slow you can go without falling out of the sky. And you have practiced how to correct it in a controlled setting. And so then when it happens for real, you don't have to freak out and figure out what to do. You know what to do. Yeah. And... It's the same thing with the, uh, oh God, I wish I could remember the name. Uh, front wheelie, that's what I'm calling it. But anyway, the reverse wheelie, it has an actual name. Oh, Jen's Googling it now. Bup, up, up, it up, stoppy, that's what it's called. Same thing with the stoppy. Is that y- you know when you're going to go over the handlebars so that you don't go over the handlebars. Uh, one of the fun, more fun places I've found to practice this is actually the church parking lot, they have this big old dirt mound mm-hmm. and you can go down the side of it where it's pretty steep and pull the front brake and just like ride your front tire down. It's, it's a good time. But those are, those are kind of the skills that I find really helpful. And you don't, when you're practicing them, you feel like an idiot and then you get into the trail and you see something and you just fly over it and you think, Oh, okay. <laughs> that was way better. Yeah, I can definitely tell that I'm riding better on the trails since I've been going out and playing around in the high school parking lot. Well, there's this one place on on Banner. It's like a big old drop-off that I used to just kind of clunk off of because it's right after a steep climb. It's at the end of Coal Miner's Daughter. Mm. And now I can actually jump off it, even though I'm going really slow. I have enough oh, mad skills. That to, one. Yeah, to jump the whole thing. I'm still just happy I can get my bike over this one. It's about, it's probably a foot to 16 inches of drop. And yeah, it's right after a really steep climb. So I'm going about two miles an hour. Yep. And the main thing is I like doing this kind of stuff. I like doing tech skills and not so much sitting on a train or sweating my butt off to get stronger. So I'm not going to beat the roadies in the strength game. So I got to beat them on my home turf. <laughs> And things like this is actually, I've started noticing, you know, same thing. I'm never going to be the strongest rider on the course, but if I have the technical skills to not waste my energy somewhere, I can keep up with the stronger riders who maybe aren't as good technically and have to power over things instead of finessing them. And also bike skills are one of those things that like, 
you can do when you don't want to bike. Like, you know what? I don't want to go out and bike for an hour at 170 friggin' beats per minute and push myself. I just want to, it's a good recovery day type thing until you break your arm. (laughs) (laughs) On the other side, I probably didn't crash. There are two situations yesterday that I got into on the gravel ride where if I did not know how to control my bike and how to take a certain type of feature, it's very, very likely that I would have crashed. And gravel road rash is not fun. My mom had a really bad crash back, heck, early 90s. And I remember and 10 she years. Died. Nope, not not that. Oh. Um, 10 years later, I remember her still picking itty bitty tiny bits of gravel out of her leg because she just couldn't get all of them. So I uh, that crashing on gravel is not something I'm excited to do. And so skills like this were really helpful for avoiding that. You know what skill we didn't mention? What's that? Turning. Turning is good. No, it, it, it's seriously one of the best skills you can have, biking, yeah. especially mountain biking. It sounds so simple, but it can be such such a problem to get right. So mountain biking is just about conserving your kinetic energy, if you will. as uh, In simple terms, don't slow down. And when you go through a turn, a lot of times people slow down more than they have to. So then they use more energy than they have to to get out of it. So one of the biggest things you can do to go faster is turn better. It's the craziest thing to say, but if you ride behind somebody who's really good, you'll notice they just fly through the turns. Uh, Do you know why that is, Jen? Why they go so fast through turns? Well, they know how to, they know the limits of their bike. um, So they're not going to take a turn too fast and then have to grab their brakes or crash or overcorrect. But also they know how to turn the bike so that it can take the turn faster. Yeah, it mainly comes down to they don't you don't break in the turns because when you break in the turns you mess up your you put more force on the ground which makes you more likely to slip out. Let me amend my previous statement. They know how to lean the bike so that they can take the turn faster because you're not just turning the handlebars; it's a whole motion. Oh God, don't get into the physics of it, Jen. <laughs> there's a whole there's a whole like counter turn lean thing. It, it's, it's it's anyhow to your point. Ugh. But yeah, getting good at turns just means you know when your tires are going to break out and you know when they're starting to bust out so you can react to it. Because when I go through a turn and I feel my tires start chattering, I hold it there. I say, you know what, tires, do your dang job. Because that's where you want to be. You want to be at the point where your tires start kind of chattering out and then you know that's as fast as you should probably take that turn. This is a really good thing to practice in flats because then if you have to, you can turn into a motocross turn. Moto turn. Or you can just start by doing a motocross turn, which is where you put your foot down on the middle and kind of use that as support and just pull it back ever so much until you don't have to put your foot down. But yeah, that's a a different way to do it. If like I was very freaked out by this idea to start with. And so I kind of started doing that. And I've gotten to the point now where I know the point that I don't have to put my foot down, and that's what I try to ride. Yeah. Moto, moto turn is where you take a turn, you know, maybe faster than you're comfortable with, and you put your tire, your foot out. Only use your back brake so that if one of your tires do break, or break, break loose, uh, it's your rear one. And then you can, uh, when your tire wipes out, you can actually put your foot down to correct and then slow down and catch yourself. That's all I have for bike skills. I mean, I could talk about skills for another hour if you would like. I think those are good basic ones to start with. Yep. So wheelie, dropping off stuff with your wheelie. 
turning. And then maybe, whoo, if you want to do some advanced basic skills, uh, stoppy slash reverse wheelie slash whatever you call it. It's called a stoppy. All right. Do you have anything else you would like to talk about, wifey? Uh, I do not. As always, you can find us on Instagram at bottom.bracket.biking. We would love to hear from you. Um, suggestions on things to talk about next, questions, input, stupid jokes. We'd love to hear all of them. Yeah, telling us that we can't call Walmart bikes bad. That's cool, too, I guess. But uh, that's all I got. And uh, we will see you in two weeks. And as always, ride dirt, not mud. Cue the outro music. Da-da-da-da.